Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. Today I'm here with Glenn Fetticelli and Mitch Powell. And if you followed this show before,、uh, you know who these guys are. If this is your first episode,、uh, Mitch Powell is the KSDI historian. And Glenn Fetticelli is title that you would like to use today, Glenn? <laughs> I'm Glenn first, but I'm the.、Um... The、uh, deputy to the chief of KSDI. All right, good.、Uh, I, I would so mess that up if you made me say it. So I'm glad you put it out there. <laughs> well,、um, as you saw, the working, title, the working title for this podcast、um, I hate to start with an um and a vocal audio, but okay, there it is. Yes, I have it right here. Is、uh, suggested by Mitch Powell Joe Imperato becomes co creator of Kaju Kembo. So I'm going to use something like that. For the title of it,、uh, find out how will probably be a, a tag that I put into the、uh, post to get people to click on this podcast. So, we are bringing attention to the fact that、uh, at the last KSDI tournament,、uh, Grandmaster Joe, Great Grandmaster Joe Imperato, was promoted. I don't know if promoted is the Elevate, word. Elevated. 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 Okay. And, and, and has the title of co creator of Kaja Kembo.、Yes. And we kind of want to talk about whenever I talked about this to people, because I'll be, I'll be honest with people listening to this, this isn't the first time, this isn't the first rodeo that Mitch, me, and Ken have had on this topic. <laughs> and、no. and uh, unfortunately, we, 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 there is a lost episode out there because of some audio issues. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but something that came up after we did the lost episodes that will never come out.、Um, Was I talked to people, asked me, Oh, they really wanted to hear this episode. Like, there was, oh, I'm so excited about this episode. And then I told them, Oh, you know, there's audio issues. A lot of stuff came up. They were like, Well, wait a second. I thought he was the co founder. I'm like, No, he's a co creator. So a lot of people were confused just off that. Well, what do you mean, co founder, co creator? I thought those were the same thing. So let's just start with that. What do you mean, co founder, co creator? I thought those were the same thing. What, what is,、uh, what's going on here? Well, initially, the discussion was. Uh, you know, as, as Mitch dives into the history head first, I have to pull him out by his toes sometimes to talk to somebody. And so we discuss history all the time. And we got into the contribution of Joe Imperato many, many times. Along with that, through our time in Kaju Kimball, we had the fortunate opportunity to speak directly with some of the pioneers. They too said, yeah, he was the one teaching, he was the one teaching them, he was the one teaching classes, he was the one. Working, you know, he even has the forms attributed to him that he created, they're stating. So the idea came up to make him a co creator. So the co founders are the ones who kind of had that initial idea. And this is just my talk on it. The initial idea they came together, they founded this, planted the seed. The seeds were planted, but actually the creation of it came in different iterations through different people. And one of those、um, that needs to be recognized was. Joe Directo Imperato. It's kind of my take on why it's a creator. You create it, you know, by the actual techniques, the way of fighting, the concepts, all of that was him and his brother and the others that were around him at the time throughout the years created this art. 
basically, I just basically created in two stages. You had the first stage that everybody's familiar with, 47 to 49. You had uh, Adrian Prado, Joseph Holt, Peter Chu, Frank Ordinez, George Chang. These guys are training together and they combine their collective knowledge of karate, judo, jiu-jitsu, kempo, and boxing. And they come up with some techniques that they photograph, they document, and they record these. That's the part that most people recognize as all of Kajikembo, where we know through our research, that's the founding of it. We don't know how many techniques they came up with, but we know there were enough of them to where they recognize it as a, as a style. It didn't have any forms yet. They had some core techniques that they created. So that group just bands in 49. And then Sijo, uh, I should say Adriano Imperato, goes out and starts teaching. Eventually, he ends up at the Plama Settlement, and he's teaching in the gym. And he's got his brother as his assistant. He's got uh, uh, Marino Tiwanak, and he's got Woodrow McCandless. They're the next core group. To me, they're as important as the first group. That next group, the, the McCandless Tiwanak group, Tiwanak is a professional boxer. So he's a very skilled fighter. Woodrow McCandless is a black belt in the Matose line. Joe Imperato and Adrian Imperato are both Chow's guys. They, they even trained with Chow into the later part of the 50s. Those are the, the guys that are responsible for the next group. So what Glenn points out, he, he's talking about Joe's contributions. Think about this. He's an instructor at the first school. He's 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 not he's not Adriano, but he's the next guy. They get this school going, and from that school, everything that you see across the world now that has a Kajikimo name on came from that school. So he's the first inst uh, uh, assistant instructor. He created forms that are used today in modern Kajikimo. They're still used. He most likely created techniques, although we don't know how many. He was the co-chief instructor when the art was announced publicly, which was 1957. There's a newspaper article, Adriano Imperato announces Kajikimo publicly, they're changing the name. And Joe Imperato is listed as the assistant co-chief instructor. I'm sorry, not assistant, co-chief instructor. So there's two chief instructors, there's Adriano and there's Joe. I mean, that right there should tell you something, but you move farther down the line and you get John Leone leaving after Joe Parado is, is killed in 1958, John Leone leaves. And then a year later, he's followed by Aleo Reyes and then by Tony Ramos. All three of those guys have said, Joe Parado was my instructor. Now they're a big piece of the early Kajikimbo puzzle. They're the pioneers. They're starting the first schools off the, on the mainland. So when you get those folks saying, hey, that was my guy. Not that Adriano wasn't. They both taught, but, but Joe was their teacher as well. Maybe even primary teacher in some cases. So if you're trying to figure out how did we get to this point, you have to first acknowledge all that Joe Imperato did in creating the foundation 
the new instructors in what became Kajukimo because he was there the entire step of the way. Why? So to get to the elevation of Joe Imperato, you know, like Glenn had mentioned, him and I, we talk a lot and we, we've talked for years about this history. And when this really came to light where we recognized the significant role that Joe Imperato played, it was a dialogue of, okay, now what do we do? So um, I know back, uh, I have it in my notes, March 3rd, 2020, I wrote a proposal to the KSDI, the Imperato family, that Glenn took forward. And in the proposal, I just outlined what we talked about, all the things that he contributed and why we believe he should be elevated to a co-creator status. And Glenn, you take it from there, because I'm not quite sure what happened. I, I just know that it, that it was done. Yeah, so from there, it, it, it was a no-brainer for me because throughout the years, like I said, with the um, folks we've spoken to who were actually there, who stated he was there creating and teaching, um, their main teacher, um, it was like, this, is, this we have to do. I mean, if we didn't, we'd be remiss in just setting history straight as far as putting the proper title on someone who gave just as much or even more than others. And the idea was to elevate him. And, and when we talk about elevation of rank, uh, when you become, you know, rank is all made up. All this is a human made ID, idea, you know, um, whatever rank it is. But common is in an organization, they can elevate or they do an elevation just as Sijo was given the rank of 10th degree by KSDI. Um, first, it was the Chinese Cultural Center who recognized him in Kempo, but as far as Kaju Kempo, it took the organization to elevate him to that status. So the same organization, the KSDI, we had chosen to, it was a no-brainer. I spoke to almost every senior grandmaster that's living. Before we actually moved forward, I spoke to numerous people about our idea they said you have to we have to do this i presented it to the imperato family senior grandmaster dici it was like yes 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 we had to about time is what <laughs> the main thing so through that and the blessing of his daughter because i try not to do anything out there uh, with joe's name or the family's name without blessing from the family um it was it was something we moved forward to do. So we wanted to put that in the record, in the history, um, and then tell a story. Because what story do we hear? We hear about the fateful night in front of the pink elephant. That night on Baratania Street when he got stabbed. That's what you hear. You hear about this, that, whatever. It's just short blurbs. But nothing about the blood, sweat, and tears. When that blood was on the mat that Cedric talked about, more than likely it was Joe's, a little bit of it. Well, he's also make, taking people out, but... This is why, I mean, I mean, I'm gonna push something up right here. I mean, this is why he, he was there, man. That was the guy, you know? There's no doubt that the flag behind him only had, I think, 48 stars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was early on, there weren't 50 stars on that flag. He was there making it happen, learning, teaching. They were figuring it out. You know, even the stances early on, you see the traditional karate stances. 
And it's moving to these times where, hey, we have to honor him and elevate him to the status which he needs to be at. You know, and I'm glad Mitch planted that seed, pushed it forward. I took it, I was the link, the conduit, and kept making it happen, making all, just everybody knew about it. Everybody gave his blessing, which it didn't matter if they did, blessed it or not, it had to happen because we have the history, right? Um, and people know it. So this is it. And we're very honored to be able to facilitate that. And then Mitch, oh. you, you also sent me a picture. If you if you don't mind, we share it and kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, you sent me this here too, like some some original footage as far as what was going on. Can you explain to the to the to the anybody listening who might not have any you know visuals on this? Can you explain what I'm what we're looking at here? Well, you've got uh, Joe Imperato and uh, his extremely close friend Marino Tiwanak training together. So it's from the same core group of photographs that uh, Grandmaster Glenn just shared. Uh, there's a bunch of photographs out there uh, that are archived. KSDI has access to them. There's a lot more that other people have that unfortunately won't share them. Yeah. So we, we share what we have, but... Yeah, this is another example of friendships that came out of this. Marino Tiwanak was a bad dude. He was a professional fighter. He had a really good record. Uh, he, he, if I understand the order, order correctly, he stopped boxing. He got married. And I guess he decided it was time to do something else. Started training in, in Kempo with Imperato, Imperato Brothers. And he becomes the actual first black belt under Imperato who trained from white belt up. Joe Imperato was the first black belt, but he was a color belt under Chow. So a, he's a very important part of this. And, um, it, you know, there's some, some story about how Joe Imperato was going to leave. And I saw some writing from Michael Tiwanak, who was... Marino Tiwanak's son, who is Marino Tiwanak's son. And part of the reason uh, was offered that uh, Robert Kawakami came in and co-founded the KSDI with Imperato and was setting up all these different schools and changing their Kempo. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but the two of them were uh, allegedly going to go out on their own and do their own thing. Only my understanding was because they wanted to do the Kempo aspect of it. I don't know if any of that's true or not. I'm just sharing the stuff that I read, but these guys were that close. Now they didn't leave um, and maybe they would have, I don't know, but Joe was there through May 30th of 1958 as part of Kaji Kempo. Yeah, you know, and you look at that picture there, you look at the hierarchy, you look at the full black geese, you look at the black belt, you know, it's not the transition from white to black, you know, they still wore white geese. If you look at the pictures with all the pioneers or a few of the pioneers in the front, Joe, C. Joe in the back, they're all in black. They're, it's the hierarchy that you're seeing. Um, that He's been there a while, started with Chow, you know, Kempo based. I can't, I can't fathom the fact that he would want to leave for any other reason than to start another school of Kaji Kimball, right? But, you know, who knows? 
who knows um, what went on. It might have been a passing thing. It might have been a, a night when brothers just got, ah, bro, I'm leaving now. You know, it could have been one of those things. <laughs> I'm out of here. You know, it could have been all of that, you know, but um, I also I, I the. Those. If you think of that, that's that, that looks like what fifty-eight picture, right? Um, let's go back to that. It, it said circa nineteen years. That was that was something I put on there. I'm oh, guessing. You put on there. Oh, okay, you're guessing. Okay. I'm guessing somewhere uh, around fifty-six. I know he's a black belt. I know T. Rock's a black belt. And he got his black belt in fifty-five. Okay, six. Yeah, I said you know. No, it looks like he's deep into putting that art together. In me, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just. I don't know. There might have been a little, you know, brotherly falling out thing moment. If you, maybe bringing in uh, Robert Cavalcalli might have been a catalyst. Could you be. Know, he's a new. Uh, he's a new guy, new person with new ideas. Not a martial yeah, artist. You know, I wonder when Robert actually got involved. If Joe, if he was there, I, I guess when Joe was there, he started, huh? I don't know. Kawakami's uh, obituary said he was the co-founder of KSDI, and KSDI was uh, in a newspaper in 1957, so I'm going to say he probably came in in 57. I think if we also think about that, though, the co-founder of what, the actual official documentation, when they actually got incorporated, because that's when you start to see his name, nowhere else have I seen it, but on that uh, actual documentation for the, you know, the writing that I saw from Michael Tiwanak was kind of listing Kawakami as the catalyst for why they why they were leaving. Hmm. So it had to be before Joe died. All right. Um, we're kind of, I, I forgot to mention this first. I'll mention this now. I do have one more guest that I interviewed. So I'm kind of goal. It's a little bit of a different format than what I normally do, but um, because of because of where this guest lives, it was really hard to coincide the time zones. He's in Hawaii, <laughs> so um, I did uh, to actually Mitch's advice. He he told me I should probably talk to David Tavares, um, who's also done a lot of research on on Joe Imperato, and um, so I did have him on the show or on the show kind of. And right now we're just going to bring in some clips that uh, David Tavares said. I forget his title and I'm really bad. Sorry, David. I'm sure you're going <laughs> to, I'm sure you're going to type it in right now or tell me later. But yeah, David Tavares is a Kajukembo uh, black belt um, coming out of Hawaii. And he's also the author of a book called Black Rope. That's about um, Kajukembo history and Joe Imperato's death. Um, but he talks about more about his life in this next part, this next clip. So let's just take a look at it real quick. And then Glenn and Mitch, um, when we're done listening, go ahead and chime in on your thoughts on what he says. So here, let's go here, share. And here we go. Well, what I wanted to cover about uh, uh, Great Grandmaster Joe, he was, uh, he really, you know, his, his martial arts skills, you know, uh, I, I like to say it was forgotten or lost. In, in time because a lot of people don't know too much about him. It's just that his death and everything like that. But my instructor said he was a, uh, you know, he was uh, a very gifted guy. He had different ideas of Kaji Gempo and um, uh, he he was going to go on his own. You know, that's what my instructor had said. And in fact, Uncle Frank Martinez, he had, uh, he had mentioned that to me when I interviewed him for my book. And I, I didn't even bring up the subject and he just said, yeah, he's going to leave his brother. 
And uh, Gwen Barato asked me that, you know, the granddaughter, excuse me, she asked me, what do you think that was? I said, I, you know, I don't know. It's not that he didn't love his brother. I mean, it's just like every, uh, you know, music m musical artist, you know, when, when they're in a group, one guy goes off and he does his own thing, you know, he does his solo or something and the line breaks off, you know, so, you know, two, two great martial artists, you know, and, uh, but, you know, we'll never know. It's, uh, it, uh, it's already, um, you know, history already, so. But he was a great man, and I I only ask him to always remember him. We over here, the martial artists in Hawaii, we we recognize him and acknowledge him as one of the co-founders of, of Kaiju Gamble many many years ago. Uh, but you know, I'm glad it's it's official now, and everybody recognizes him as one of the uh, co-founders. And uh, yeah, it's a good thing. I I want to congratulate <laughs> him and, uh, uh, the. The grandson of uh, Joe, I think it was Joe, Joe Pirillo, or something like that. He's a good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu man, from what I understand. So, any thoughts on this, guys? Well, i like to share this part here. Um, Pauli Cerronio, George Cerronio, is one of the instructors under Adriano Imperato. Uh He was there in the, in the 50s, early 50s, mid-50s. And his grandsons are Albert Sadler and Bobby Cerrone, Bobby Cerrone Jr. So they're both martial artists. They visit him. They're looking at old photographs. And he points to a photograph that is Marino Tiwanak, Woodrow McCandless, Joe Imperato, and Adriano Imperato. And he says, I hear all the co-founder stuff being said, but those are the real founders of Kaji Kimbo. And that he told, I believe, to some other people later on. So not just. I heard it, I heard it straight from his voice. I, I sat across and he mentioned that. So, you know, something like that carries a lot of weight. You know, it, it's it's someone that was in, in that environment with these guys in that arena. While Kajikimbo was being created, it was a Kimbo system that eventually became Kajikimbo. It didn't come out, you know, you hear people say, oh, yeah, Kajikimbo was created in 1947. It wasn't. It was started. The concept was started, but it wasn't created. And an interesting thing, there's that 92 interview with, with Joseph Hall. And they're talking to him about Kajikimbo and, and the creation part of it. And he's explaining that he told his son about Kajikimbo. Uh, later on in life. And he said to his son, he goes, his son was not a police officer. His son was getting in trouble. So the son came to him and said, hey, dad, what do I do? And he said, well, I never really told you this, but, you know, I was co-creator Kajikembo. And he said, I want you to run with this and I want you to take and make up some techniques. And he said, so I gave him the concepts that we used. And then my son made up techniques and we use those in our family art. You have to take from that, that whatever techniques they came up with, they used them based on a, on, on a set curriculum, a concept of how to create a technique. When I was asked to see John Brado about the alphabet techniques, he told me how he created those techniques. He wrote it to me. I actually have it in writing. And he was talking about how you have to strike vital areas and the eyes, the side of the neck, the back of the neck, the groin, and so forth. So it explains this concept of how they created techniques. 
If you understand that concept, you can create your own techniques. And that's what Joe Hoke is saying. Hey, we kept this concept alive. And then my son created these techniques. So it wasn't like they started from scratch. It wasn't that the system was created overnight in 1947. They came up with this concept of how to create techniques. And then they carried that forward. Mitch, you know, as well as I do, we've both seen, and you actually have, George Soronio's book where these concepts are actually written. And on it, and this was they were written by Sejo for him, and on it it says Black Belt uh, something, I think it's their instructor's manual, right? Handwritten, pictures, it's, you see a few blocks in this number, it's all concepts that were created through the art. Some are straight from the streets. <laughs> Some are just like, oh, that's brutal. But some are coming down from various arts. It's the plate lunch, right? I always look at Kaji Kimball like this. Kaji Kimball is the plate lunch of martial arts. And if you're from Hawaii, you understand it's the best from here, the best from there, best from here. You put it all together. But hey, tomorrow, I might not have the Kobe beef. I might have uh, chicken. But it's still good. So it's not, it's not about the technique all the way. It's that concept behind it, right? It's that, I mean, we could go through concepts that Mitch and I trained early on because they're still being taught and discuss it with folks who are just learning and they could go through all the forms and opinions they want. But then when you say, hey, let's talk about a concentration breath, let's inhale, retain ki. <laughs> they would not have done it, wouldn't know what it is. It's written in Sijo's book way back when. We practiced it in our school a thousand times a month, but it's basically, how to take a hit and how to give a hit with using that breath. So, you know, I mean, concepts. I mean, that, and that's, that's, that's a whole other thing Mitch and I have been talking about lately. Also. Well, I think actually you're, you're on a good point here because um, I, I think we're going to bring in David because that's one of the things that I mentioned to David as far as one of the concepts of Kaja Kimbo that really, I really enjoyed um, when I first came in and saw a Kaja Kimbo class and saw what they were doing. And was trying to differentiate what's the difference between this and these other people that say they do kempo and, and these other people that say they do karate in my in my neighborhood like and the guys that do that say they do kung fu what's the difference and when i came and saw this concept although that's that's very different from what these other traditional schools are doing i'm just going to bring this in real quick guys here bear with me here and all right well so Another point that we talked about um, on our last podcast was about how, and you know, I have a background in MMA, and one of the things that really attracted me to Kaja Kimball was the ground and pound. Like, went to a lot of different schools, and when I saw what they were doing with ground and pound, I really liked the style of their ground and pound. And you mentioned last time, and we kind of talked about it briefly, about how it was, it was actually Joe Imperato who brought in the idea of a ground and pound is that is that correct yes that is correct uh, uncle frank had, had mentioned that to me when when i was interviewing him he said it was joe it was his idea instead of the the, the old karate style that the one hit and one kill you know uh, joe believed you know if you miss the guy while he was on the ground you know you, you keep following up until you get the job done so that what they call you know, like in the MMA now or, or uh, UFC or whatever, you know, ground uh, uh, and pound, that's Joe Imperato's uh, uh, Kaji Kimball back in 1947. So this guy was light years ahead of his time, you know. He was uh, 
he he was an innovator so you know i'm really proud you know of that and i think the people in in cause gamble should know that you know if they missed your last podcast from way back but i'm glad you brought it up now yeah yeah so like um you guys want to add to that well you know there's a lot to say about that right so absolutely ground and pound came from the Embrado brothers and they were the streets right so i'm thinking now while you're saying that i'm thinking back on some of cj's writing in his biography he wrote um that never was published or anything you know it's all broken english it's it's really nice reading but he talks about him and Joe down shining shoes. Somebody snatched the money from Joe. CJ showed up. Bottom line, he took this guy out. The guy went down and he gave him the shoe job. Now, back in those days, 40s, 50s, you understand what a shoe job was. I am, I am kicking you, stomping you, and beating you while you're on the ground. That's the shoe job. You know, so, yeah. It was part of his DNA, him, CJ, I mean, that's how they strike the spot in the streets. Whose idea it was? Yeah, who knows, but it's valid. It's valid, and that's that streetwise that the brothers had. Well, I got a, that interview that I, I just got through watching about four million times is the 92 interview with Hulk, Imperato, and Peter Chu. And in that interview, Hulk was talking about Imperato, and he's telling Vince Black, the interviewer, what a fantastic street fighter Adriano Imperato was. So I got a note here, Joe Imperato. Uh, in 1950, a guy tried to pull a knife on him outside that same bar, that same bar area. And Joe put that guy in the hospital. I have the newspaper clipping from that. These guys were street fighters. So if Joe Imperato implemented that, as uh, Frank Gordon has says, what I will say is he was not afraid to take the street to the mat. Where someone like Joe Hoke would have never done that. Joe Hoke was a classic trained uh, martial artist who really cared about like the goodness of the of the art, the goodness of the people training in the art. It was a big thing for him to bring a moralistic view to training. So the flip side of that is an imperato. We, we live and die on the street. We're gonna bring that into school. Uh, I was talking to, to Joe Hoke's son, um, Barry, and he said that his understanding was in 51, his father came back from the military. He saw imperato teaching a class and Afterward, realized um, Imperato had completely changed their philosophy from kind of the good-natured, moralistic view that Hulk thought they were going to do, and he created a street fighting system. And Hulk said, I, I don't want to be part of that. So when people say, how or why did they split up? Well, they split up because guys were in the military doing military duties, but they came back from the military, and they could have resumed. Hulk did not resume his role because Imperato had made this a street fighting art. So whether or not Joe did it or Adriano did it or a collection of ideas, somebody said, hey, let's bring the street to this map and let's train like we're out there and we're gonna, we're gonna die if we don't do this right. So that's kind of Kaji Kimmel's MO. 
when people Absolutely. see the systems and they go, hey, what's the difference between Kempo and Kajikembo? In the Kempo systems, we do the same hand strikes, we do the same blocks, we do the same kicks, but then we drag you to the ground and beat you for 14 minutes. So other systems don't do that part, man. Now they call it MMA. No, no here's, the thing. here's the thing, though. We, 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 now they call it MMA, kind of, right? Because, and I, I'll put this in here. Um, this is going to give me more work later. But if you want to see, I'm going to put this in here later. Uh, the What is Kaji Kembo interview I did with uh, John Hackleman and, um, and also Ron Esteller. They both talk about how MMA, and they both run schools that have MMA fighters, right? Um, big props to to Glover and his and his win and now his title defense coming up. Oh no, he he lost and now he's gonna get a rematch. Um and some more people from the Pit Ohana that are doing making huge moves in the UFC. But even their original coach Hackleman says Kaju Kembo guy, a true Kaju Kembo guy, would have a horrible time in the cage because half the stuff that he could do, he can't do in the cage. He has to adapt. And you're good at that. And obviously his his system shows that we can adapt but he says this is gonna stomp on you that's the first thing he says he's gonna well you just said the street job he's gonna stomp on you and he was talking about how mma is still different from kaji kembo there's concepts there but there's stuff that we do that we train in that we're Rule. not allowed to do in the cage see <laughs> joe's golden target written in george serrano's black belt book growing shot that is a place you want to hit fast hit hard the idea, and, and Tony Ramos told me, or going Tony Ramos told me this one day, he says, I want to hit that bugger so hard anywhere that his knees buckle, and then I'll take him down. He goes, it doesn't matter where I hit him, I'm going to stun him. He goes, it, it just crack him so hard. You know, and this is the difference, Kempo and Kaju Kempo. It's like, I'm going to give you two to three good hits. You know, one of them is going to stun you so hard. The other two are going to be swinging in the air because you're on your way down. And I'm stomping. So, you know, I mean, there's a different concept. It goes always back to that. And Joe was involved with that, you know. And you see some of the pictures of him, I mean, and his movements. These moves are not the traditional, I mean, that one I put this one up here. And if you've seen that, that's the same one you put. But look what's moving, right? He's got the leg up. He's got the arm hammer fist. He's, he's coming in for a, definitely a takedown. And, you know. I know that's not all out, but I guarantee, even when they train, it was hitting. It was hitting all on all gears. And what I want to mention is, um, and I know we're gonna get right back to more of this. But one thing I want to mention because I've been doing some, some, I've been doing a lot of my own research into the creations of the UFC and its evolution from where it started to where it is at now. A great book people should check out is Blood in the Cage. Uh, written by L. John Worting. Um, it goes over the story of Pat Milovich and the rise of the UFC. And one thing he mentions is that in those first five, six UFCs, when it was still being ran by the Gracies, yeah, and they still allowed growing shots, yeah. the political climate, one of the biggest issues that the politicians had with the UFC <laughs> was the no-holds-bar the no holds bar type of fighting that was happening. And the only way the UFC was finally, because it was just, they, probably, they they took it off pay-per-view, man. They were letting people yep. watch porn and not UFC. That's how bad it was. It was banned from the state. Like, right? Except for Las Vegas. Yeah, that, that's, 
That's how bad they thought it was. And when you look at those original rule sets, they allowed stomping, they allowed hair pulling. They said, the marketing people were saying, we just can't market this as a, it just looks like a blood sport. Your guys are pulling out clumps of hair. And it looked a lot. Yeah. And at, at that point, uh, there was a lot. There was there were Kaju Kimbo guys involved the whole time. All right. So like, if you look at the history and you talk to people, you'll find out that Kaju Kimbo guys have been involved in that the whole time. But one of the things they, when they made the sanctions and they said, the only way we can get the boxing commissions that were in charge of this and the politicians behind it is if we can finally add these rules that make it less of a brutal street art or street thing and make it more palatable for the, for the public is if we take out the hair pulling, the growing strikes. And they did that in the, in the early UFC to, to help with the, with the fallback from, uh, from, from the politicians at the time. So I think it's really interesting. Like when you kind of see well, the history is interweaving like that. And I don't want to diverge from what we're talking about, but yeah. Right. There's another piece of that, that should be shared though. Oh, there right. was one camp that said we need to do it on cement, not on a mat. Because if you're on a mat, you have no problems falling to the ground, rolling around on your back and grabbing a hold of some guy's legs. But you're not going to intentionally go on the ground if the ground's hard, cement, etc. So just imagine what the UFC would look like today if they fought that in a street and not some design. No, it wouldn't be around. It was almost not around with the it was, it was completely not around with everything we just talked about it was almost destroyed like they it wasn't until they came up with the sanctions that they were actually able to to make it what it is now it's a great sport i'm a big fan of it but it wouldn't have been that if they would have kept it that way but again this goes to the point of what we're talking about about kaji kembo and those different Street fighting arts yeah, as a, as a street fighting art, and not I'm a ring art. Trying to, I'm trying to act like we're trying, and I know people watch trying to act like badass. I mean, beyond just the growing strikes, little subtleties like grabbing a T-shirt, right? In MMA, you're not allowed to grab a T-shirt. I was shocked by this. The first time I actually went to an MMA school, a guy tried to mount me, and I grabbed his rash guard and pulled it over his head and started popping him. And they start saying, "Whoa!" Like like the whole Black Panther say, "We don't do that here." <laughs> 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 so, I mean, again little subtleties yeah we can stretch with it growing we say that a lot but there's like little subtleties that that i wouldn't i would i would think these guys are so tough that they do but yeah again this is just to speak to those subtleties and those differences between mma and kaju kimbo that are all going back to the history of these badasses like Jordan Barado and adriano Ambrado. now um let's go ahead and switch gear gears here real quick um if you guys are cool with this um, David Tavares speaks a little bit about after Joe passed away and the ceremony. Um, is it cool if we take a, clip, a look at that clip real quick? Sure. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and um, bring that up. All right. So David speaks a little bit about the funeral services. So I'm just going to bring it in here real quick, guys. Do you see this? Are we all on the same page? Yeah. Okay. All right. Is uh, funeral services were held. Uh at uh, St. Teresa Church. It was, um, I believe, on a Wednesday morning, and then they walked. Uh, it, it was said, you know, somebody sent me a letter saying that uh, the the uh, uh students, they all walked from St. Teresa Church all the way to the uh, 
new one uh, memorial park you know it's just quite a distance away but how how this, um and how this photo you sent me here how is, is this related to that walk you were talking about well no that was that was when they got to the uh to the uh the Memorial Park Muwanu uh, Mortuary, but but I, I'm glad you brought that up because the the, the pallbearers there, there is a question. You know, they they said that the pallbearers were uh, Charles Lacalo, who's who's that gentleman to the left, and then right behind me was Bob Walter Godine. And in fact, they said that well, you know, my instructor never showed up because he felt guilty, you know. But that's my instructor right there, and then behind him is uh gabby iona and then they said uh the others were uh uh hold on a second uh henry mandak and there was uh one more guy uh big ben kekumu okay but see that guy on the right there that that's pseudo assumption he's not holding on to any of the casket there okay now if you look to the left again at charles lacarlo okay you can see an arm there with the glove okay they, that guy there on that right was Frank Swan. That was uh, one of the Marina Tillinax black belts. And um, so I think that there were, you know, there were S Sid and uh, uh, Frank were escorting him, and, and then there were the other uh, six, okay? So there, there's a missing hold bear that, you know, he's not holding, you know? So, well, you know, um, one... Uh, Kaji Gambo instructor had told me that uh, it could be Marino Tillinac, but I asked Michael Tillinac, and Michael Tillinac said, no, nah, I think my father uh, was a pallbearer. So if anybody knows out there for that six pallbearers, because they, they said it was Charles O'Connor, Walter Goodin, Gabby Iona, Henry Mandak, Big Ben, Kekunu, and Sid Assumption. But, I mean, if you look, Sid, he's not holding on to that, that uh, the, the handle of that casket. So, yeah, those are the six pallbearers, and, you know, there could be one more out there. Somebody knows that they know. Please uh, let Andrew know. Uh, excuse me, Angelo know, and uh, he can put on one of his shows in the future. Yeah. So I remember. Um, so again, I, I I wasn't there. So I guess there was a really big ceremony. From what I heard, I did hear some. I mean, I know that was actually there, but the the legends, as you will, um, that I heard from my instructor was that there was this huge ceremony, and a lot of different. Um, masters and grandmasters from all kinds of arts were there and um and there was also obviously a procession with black belts and there's the white geese you guys were talking about um you know carrying carrying the you know carrying joe well anything you, you know uh, real quick you mentioned the white geese as a lot of people have heard and we all know the white gee was not on your black belt level and what I hear was a lot of those folks were given black belts to wear during the ceremony. And I also heard that a lot of them didn't give them back. <laughs> they just kept wearing them. But you know, I mean, it, 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 you look at it, all of these black belts all of a sudden, but I don't think if you look at the duration of training and the time and where Joe was, that they had that many promoted to black belt as of yet. I, I, you know, wasn't there, but the story is, Give black belts because no one's going to carry my brother's um, um, or be a pole bearer without having a black belt. And then okay, I'm, I'm promoted now. <laughs> you gave me the black belt. No, not sure. There not sure. Way, but that's kind of like what I heard. When you can get it back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they all look new if you look at them. They look very new. <laughs> yeah, 
I know one guy was, uh, he started his training in 1957. So this is May of 58. And I know he didn't get a black belt in a year and four months. <laughs> and, you know, another thing that's really cool, and I don't know if I mentioned it to you, Mitch, um, Senior Grandmaster Dichi told me a story that after all of this happened, they had one of his geese, um, Joe's geese, they rolled it up, they brought it to Palama Settlement, and they buried it under the stairs at Palama Settlement. The, the place they buried it is no longer there, but she said, yeah, we, we took it and we, we gave him his place because that's where they trained. Pretty cool. That's really cool. Well, um, we're almost close to our wrap-up, guys. And before I wrap up, um, David had some thank yous he wanted to give out. So we're going to go into David's wrap-up. And then um, <laughs> there's a tribute I have to do, as, as I mentioned off camera, that I'll do. And then we'll do our wrap-up. So let me uh, let me line this up. Hold on a second. All right. Um, so I know I, I flashed my hands in because I probably shouldn't have done that. I don't feel like editing that out. So you have to, you all have to deal with that. Um, so let's go ahead and go to David's wrap up. And uh, here we are. Um, so let's check out what he said. So looking over everything, man. Um, any last comments you want to make? Yeah. I want to thank um, all my friends, uh, my martial arts. Well, you know, I want to thank my family uh, here in Hawaii, both Tavares and Danielson, who always supported me when uh, I did my martial arts. You know, they believed in me more than I believed in myself. But I also want to thank uh, all my martial arts brothers and sisters, uh, Tommy Lamb of the Kempo Unlimited School. You know, when my uh, when my school, you know, folded up and went tits up, you know, he, he let me uh, still train at his school. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned more from him than he ever did from me when uh, I was one of his Kempo instructors. You know, um, he made me more knowledgeable martial arts, better martial artist, and uh, uh, I believe a better man. I thank him and the Kempo Olympic family. Thank you for uh, letting me be in your, uh, your 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 Kempo family uh, all these past 26 years. And, you know, I, I can never, I'll always be indebted to that. And I want to thank... Uh, uh, 10th degree great grandmaster uh, Jason Gruff who's the the only uh, successor to a co-founder of the Kajigenta system you know he's a successor to Uncle Frank he helped me a lot and um, uh, Ron Baker you know uh, 8th degree professor Ron Baker you know a big thanks to all of them people you know they're, they're all my friends you know and uh, they, they helped me through some difficult times that I have right now but you know it's, it's, I'll get I'll be back and uh, I'll be back ready to train again and um, do what I like doing, you know. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. No problem, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sh just dropping some knowledge and, and your experiences and all the all that research you did. And I encourage all my listeners, if you're a Kajikimo practitioner, there are two books out there. There aren't two books. Okay, I'm going to stop myself right there. Mitch, how many books? There's not a lot. I mean, John Bishop has this one and this one. Um, the Black Robe, which is Grandmaster David Tavares's book. Mike Whittle has a, a nice book out there. There's not a lot of books on Kaji Kimbo. Okay. So I wasn't wrong. It's not, it's like five about. There's a couple other ones. There's a, there's an older one. I can't think of the title right now. Right. So there's a uh, Frank Conway one. wrote it. So I want to correct yeah. myself before someone jumps in the comments and corrects me. 
the one written by John Bishop and definitely the one written by David Tavares. He goes into great detail about some Kaji Kimbo history that I had no idea even existed. So I, I really appreciate you coming in and clearing that up, brother. All right, thanks, man. But like I said, this is for all the young black belts out there in Kaji Kimbo because they're the future, man. They're the guys that are going to, I want them to pass it on to their students and to, you know, anybody in their school, you know. Joe Joe was a great man, and uh, they should be they, they should be proud that they officially recognize him as one of the co-founders. Well, again, thanks. thanks. Aloha. Thank you, man. And for my listeners, uh, thank you very much, and stay tuned for the wrap-up that we're about to do with Glenn and Mitch. So another thing we should clear up, co-creator, and we talked about that earlier in our podcast. Now, one more thing that I'm supposed to mention. Um, I'm going to go here to my email. Hopefully nobody hacks in because I'm showing you private information. Um, Is that David did ask that I please share this photo of his dog that recently passed away um, because he trained with this before he went to Japan to fight. This dog ran with him and he ran with this dog. He told me he ran with this dog every day while he was cutting weight. And he would visit Joe's grave on his run. And this dog was with him. So it meant, it meant a lot to him. And he, he asked me to please um, put his his contributions to this podcast and, and tribute it to his dog. Um, All right. Anything else you guys want to add? I do want to say, you know, we, we, we honor Joe Imperato this way. But we need to honor him by telling his story. Um, telling all that aspects of the story beyond just the death before after we also need to really thank Jody Imperato is his blood and her blessings to allow us and you know always honor her when we speak of Joe in the highest degree but uh, from the KSDI the Kajikimo Self-Defense Institute we definitely want to honor those who came before us and created our art never let the legacy die and you know I think Mitch Powell you know, he is the official KSDI historian. Just the deep dives he's doing is amazing. We have our podcast that will be coming, Kaju Kimball Talk Story, where we'll get into super details on the subject and many others. My shameless blood and my dog. And your dog, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you got to look at, how did they even get there? The Imperato brothers had a rough haul, man. They're depression era babies. Um, A lot of issues growing up with the families, uh, some divorces and no money. Um, You know, their, their kids, I think Joe's 11 and Adriano's 13, 14. And there's a bomb dropped on Pearl Harbor, bombs dropped on Pearl Harbor changing the lives of you know millions of people all around the world and they lived right through that stuff and then they get a little bit older and you know Cedro goes off in the military so joe is you know he's a teenager man he's the man of the house the challenges that these guys went through uh Absolutely. are extraordinary most people would not have made it and you're you're looking at a martial art that is done I seriously all around the world that came out of, you know, these two, the founding portion and then the creating portion of the art. It came out of those two separate periods. 
and look what they created. And these guys were not these were not old wise masters. You know the the first group they were in their early twenties, and then CJ was a little bit older within the next group. But Joe was not. He was a young man. He was only you know twenty eight years old when he died. Um, what a life lived, and they did a lot of living. He did in twenty eight years. You know what they say uh, when it comes down to it and you need to use the art for self-defense. I'd rather learn it from the streets and the way it should be than, you know, those who went through the motions and those guys lived it. I want to, I want to add that I too have a dog, but my dog is in this little canister here because my dog was a, a three and a half pound Chihuahua. This is a princess who lived almost 17 years. So Love our dogs. All the dogs around there. While we're doing this, you know, I'm gonna just go ahead and throw it out there too. Here's here's my my dog. Both, they both passed away this year. He passed away at 18. Made, oh, wow. made it to 18. Surprise! Wow. Boxer made it to 12 years. I thought for sure. They told me five years in it would be it wasn't gonna make most boxers don't live past five years because of genetic issues, I guess, cancer and stuff. But yeah, 12 years. Wow. And you know, you know. Dogs are part of Ohana. You know what I mean? Like, I think David Absolutely. did touch on a good point. He was running with his dog. I ran with my dogs. Like, my training, it, that they're they're part of family. And, like, I think that's what makes Kaiser Kimball so, so When I was running my school out of my house way back in the day, this dog used to love to bite the guys when they walked out of the garage <laughs> to go into the bathroom. And there were times <laughs> off of people's ankles. So yeah. I'll never forget that. That stuff was fun. Yeah, you love your dogs. Well, everyone, thank you for checking out Social Joe. Mitch, Glenn, thank you for taking the time and rearranging the time and rescheduling the time. <laughs> Glad we finally got together and did it. Um, and for all of you listening, uh, thanks for following the show. Right, thanks, Angelo. Thanks, brother. Catch you all later.